that in order to meet this moment, we have to recognize our California comeback. I think in my time, this is a very unusual and a very unique time. What I'm saying about the state today, it's an enterprising, modernizing, pluralizing, unionizing nation state. Hello and welcome back to the California Nation podcast. Today we're talking about Governor Gavin Newsom, who's facing a recall threat and just gave his state of the state speech in an empty stadium in Los Angeles. My guests today to talk about it are Gary South, a veteran Democratic strategist who advised both Governor Gray Davis and Gavin Newsom before he was governor. We've also got Mike Madrid, a veteran Republican political strategist who's a former political director for the California Republican Party and is currently a principal at Grassroots Lab in Sacramento. And we've got Jessica Levinson, a veteran political commentator and a professor at Loyola Law School. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if I was going to get the veteran title. <laughs> well, we have three veterans. Well, four, I guess, if you count me. I'm a veteran of a few political battles myself. And so let's get right to it. Last night, Governor Newsom gave a 30-minute State of the State speech in an empty Dodger stadium. The seats were meant to symbolize the COVID dead, but also brighter days ahead. It was kind of a mixed message. We haven't really talked about this at all yet together. So what are your thoughts on the governor's speech? Did it do what it needed to do? Was it good? Let's start with you, Mike. Look, it's an old saying in politics that it's impossible to screw up a state of the state or a state of the union. And for the past 30 years of my career, that's been true. This was a bad speech. It was the wrong venue. It was the wrong tone. It was the wrong message. And I think that for the first time, any close political observer has got to say, look, the governor's not in trouble here with this recall at this moment in time. I don't believe that at all. But boy, a lot of unforced errors here. This was just, this was just, it sounded like a poetry slam contest where it's the same old Gavin Newsom speech at a time when he dramatically needed to change the tone and direction of the way Californians feel about him. He did not do that. Failed. Failed on all counts. Jessica, what's your take? Do you agree or disagree with Mike? Uh, I always love being set up to, do you agree or disagree with Mike? So look, I don't think that this was the speech of a lifetime. And to me, when I was watching the speech, the thing that a couple things came to mind. One, none of us can escape ourselves. So this is Gavin Newsom and this is him giving prepared remarks. Two, it seemed to me like he almost thought he was billing by the hour. Like somebody said, if you can come in under 20 minutes, you get a break on renting out Dodger Stadium. He seemed so rushed. He also seemed so much on the defensive trying to tell Californians, I should keep my job, and here are all the reasons I should keep my job. He never used the word recall, but it seems so clear that that was what was in the background of all of his answers. And trying to say, you should keep me because of my response to the pandemic, because of what I'm doing with respect to vaccines, because, and his Achilles heel, of course, that schools have been closed. I'm gonna open back up schools, and I haven't forgot about homelessness. So, you know, in terms of, the speech, people who supported him are still going to support him. People who are critics are still going to be critics. Will he be recalled? I suspect no, but that will have everything to do with vaccines and nothing to do with this speech. Gary, is this a speech you would have advised Newsom to give, and how did it work out in your opinion? Well, I have actually um, advised two governors of different states on state-of-the-state state addresses and have actually written some of them. Um, so I have a little a bit of experience in this area, but I mean, I, I disagree with Mike. I mean, I think that, look, this guy is under incredible pressure. 
Um, he is what he is, as Jessica said. He just, you, you know, it's like Gray Davis. You're not going to give, you're not going to get Gray Davis to give a, 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 a stump speech that's going to have people up, you know, standing on their chairs. And, you know, you've worked for Governors Gill. Uh, they are what they are. I thought that, you know, the, the Dodger Stadium venue was um, a little strange, but I, I understand the symbolism of it. But, you know, I thought that it was right in terms of content. I thought it was right in terms of tone. Uh, I thought it was right in terms of, of style. And he said, said what he needed to say. I mean, look, I worked for a governor who was under recall. And whatever you do, you get criticized. If you apologize, you're being, uh, you, you're, you're like pandering to the, to the, to the recall crowd. If you're, if you're strong, um, and, and unapologetic, then you don't really understand the peril that you're in. So when you're in this kind of a situation, it is very difficult for a governor to navigate it. And I thought on the whole, uh, Newsom did pretty well. And he didn't go on for seven and a half hours like he did once as mayor of San Francisco in his uh, State of the City address. I remember that address. I think it's still on YouTube. It um, is. I thought it was the venue was definitely strange. And I know these speeches are usually written by a committee. You know, everyone has to get this word or that word in there. All the major staffers and, and uh, you know, Sacramento influencers tend to weigh in and want their buzzword or keyword or pet issue mentioned. Yeah. Well, the thing that bothered me the most, though, was the symbolism of Dodger Stadium. It seemed like he was going for three different layers of symbol. There was the vaccination site. There was the sunny days ahead with the baseball games resuming in April, April 1st. And then there was the idea that the 55,000 or 56,000 empty seats kind of symbolized California's dead. And that's what really stopped me because having had an uncle who died of COVID in January and having had my dad survive it after about 10 days, very scary days in the hospital, all I could think of once that was the image was look, all I could do was look at those empty seats and think about my uncle. So I had to actually go back later and watch the speech and read it again. So I felt like it's hard to give a grinning speech and tout your accomplishments when you're kind of telling us that you're in a stadium full of symbolic dead. So in that way, I thought it was a strange venue. I don't think it'll be a very memorable speech except for the picture that is going out there now of Newsom alone in this big empty stadium, which is, as you know, anybody who's worked for a governor, you don't put your boss in an empty room. But uh, that aside, the real question is, and Jessica hinted at this earlier, does this have much impact at all on Newsom's future? Next week is the deadline for the recall supporters to turn in signatures that they need to qualify. They need one, about 1.5 million signatures to get it on the ballot. This once seemed like a conservative fever dream, just qualifying the measure. And now it's looking like it might be kind of likely. So is there a chance Newsom could actually be recalled from office, which I don't think there is, spoiler alert, or is this just something that's going to annoy him? Jessica, Let's start with you this time. So we have seen how quickly uh, political fortunes can rise and fall because let's remember, it feels like 100,000 years ago, it was not that long ago in May where people were saying Newsom shut the state down and he saved lives. And a lot of people were saying he, he had courage, he grew into the role, and he, had, he made the right decision. He listened to the scientists, he didn't cave to political pressure. And now it's March. And we're talking about a recall. So could he be recalled? I suspect no for a bunch of different reasons. But if there is a huge problem with the vaccine rollout, if there is, and this isn't his fault, of course, but if there's a surge in variants 
and we are potentially facing another lockdown. If there is another big problem with uh, unemployment insurance or if there is a real economic downturn, if kids are no longer in schools, and if he makes a number of other unforced errors, if he goes to you know the equivalent of French laundry again, then I think he's vulnerable, which is another way of saying, look, if this recall happens in October, a lot can happen between March and October. I don't think he will be recalled, but it depends on what happens with the pandemic, the economy, if kids are back in school, and if he has um, made another big unforced error. Mike, what are your thoughts? Is the recall serious or just a distraction? Well, I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, there's going to be a recall. I've been saying for weeks and for months, anybody who's looking at the numbers and looking at the production knew six weeks ago that it was going to happen, that enough money would show up to be there. Is it going to be successful? No, I don't think that it is. For the same reason that I think we're entering a period of more and more recalls is you've got this rabid, intense Republican base that will basically sign anything that opposes a Democrat and write a $100 check to make sure that it qualifies. Uh, that, that hard floor is also a ceiling in California. That 37% of Republicans will do anything to get rid of Democrats. It's just they've got no reach beyond that. So I think this is probably the first in a series, at least in recent memory, um, or, or, or the, the near future, where we will start to see more recalls qualify. This type of behavior as Republicans have increasingly marginalized themselves, have chosen not to be relevant in the policy discussions, and are just trying to use crass political tools. Having said that, I'm also going to say, and I'll you know, disagree a little bit with, with Jessica here, I, I was very vocally supportive of Gavin Newsom when he decided to shut down early. I took a lot of criticism from that, from Republican circles. That doesn't concern me, as I think most of you know. But let's remember, he also opened up far too early based off of that same science. And that's the problem he's run into. The inconsistency of handling this crisis is what is driving people crazy. It's not like this has all been out of our hands. There has been no consistent policy solution from this administration on something of great consequence. And when you add that up with the debacle that happened with the checks going out from the Economic Employment Development Department, and this is, that is the scandal of this, the size of this is so enormous that I think it's hard for us to even grasp, right? The just complete mismanagement of this, which has now become a crime problem. You add on to the fact that nothing was done on housing, nothing has been done on homelessness. Look, he's just not good at governing at this moment in time. Can he, can he fix it? I guess. But we're getting into the late innings here. And like I said, I've, 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 I've been very critical of Gavin Newsom when I thought it was warranted. I've been extremely complimentary of him when I think it was unwarranted, or warranted rather. Um, we're just not seeing a lot of, of good governance. You don't feel, I think Californians don't feel like somebody who is capable of leading the state is actually at the helm. And again, I, I, I have not been gratuitous in my criticism of this governor. In fact, I've been quite the opposite. I think um, he's done a good job in some instances, but they're far uh, few and, 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 and not enough to, I think, give the average um, California voter, including a wide swath of Democrats, confidence that we're being led by somebody who's up to the job. Can, can he fix it? Yeah, but you know, a speech like the one he just gave doesn't, doesn't reassure us. I, I called him California's president last spring. You don't hear me talking like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Gary, you've been uh, an advisor and a critic of Newsom. 
And you know a thing or two about recall politics. Is this a, a serious threat to Newsom or is it just an annoyance? Well, let's put one fact on the table here. The only reason this recall is going to qualify, the only reason it's going to qualify is because an idiot judge in Sacramento who Trump had appointed, had, had nominated for federal judgeship, gave the proponents of the recall a 120, an unprecedented 120-day extension beyond the initial 160 days they had statutorily to collect the requisite number of signatures to put this on the ballot. Without that 120-day extension, this thing wouldn't have come close to qualifying. So we have to look at it that way. <clears throat> Was this some huge public, you know, uh, groundswell to recall Newsom? No, it's going to happen because one judge, one Superior Court judge, appointed by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who himself was the only governor ever elected in a recall, decided of his own volition to give the proponents a 120-day extension. So let's keep that in mind. There are five reasons why I think this recall does not equate at all to the one in 2003. One is that California is just a lot more democratic now than it was in 2003. I mean, in the, in the Davis recall, Democrats had a registration advantage of only 8.4% over Republicans. It's now 22%, almost three times as large. Republicans are down to 24% of the electorate, an all-time historic low. Number two, if you, have to, if you have to look at the previous electoral performance of a governor under recall, there's no comparison there either. I mean, I ran the Davis re-election campaign in 2002, as you well know. We eked out a 47 to 42 victory over an empty suit, basically, after spending $78 million. And so he went winging into the 2003 recall year, extremely weakened by his lackluster performance in the 2002 um, reelection campaign. Newsom won a 62 to 38 victory, the biggest gubernatorial victory in, since I think 1950 in California uh, in 2018. So they're not in the same starting place. Number three, although Newsom's numbers have deflated, clearly, particularly since last fall, uh, he's nowhere near the Nixon-level disapproval uh, ratings that, that Davis was receiving in 2003. And in fact, the field poll in August of 2003, just two months before the recall, had Davis down to 22% job approval rating, which, according to Field, was the lowest job approval rating they had ever measured for a governor in the entire 50-year history of the field poll. I mean, fourth... I mean, let's face it, what, what made the 2003 recall work was Arnold Schwarzenegger getting involved in it. There were other factors clearly as well, but there is no obvious larger than life action figure like Arnold Schwarzenegger hanging out in the wings waiting to run. Um, and I don't, see one, I don't see one in that category at all. And fifth, I mean, the chances are nil that Newsom's own Democratic Lieutenant Governor is gonna engage in the treachery of basically running against him in the recall, like like Cruz Bustamante did in 2003. And trust me, because I'm familiar with the polling and the, and the focus grouping, even though I thought Bustamante was a dim bulb, the fact that he got into that race as the sitting lieutenant governor was extremely hurtful to Davis. Because remember, I'd run Davis's campaign in 98 when he was the sitting lieutenant governor, and he became the first ever Democratic lieutenant governor in California history to be elected governor in his own right. So I, I was familiar with how a lieutenant governor is perceived by voters. I mean, the job may be a joke in Sacramento. Um, the standard line is, you know, the job of a lieutenant governor is to get up in the morning and look at the obituary page to see if the governor's died. But 
to the average voter, it's like he's the he's the vice president. And so Bustamante getting into it as the sitting lieutenant governor to the sitting governor who was under recall threat was a was a sort of a, a, a uh, get out of jail free card for those Democrats who didn't really want to vote to recall Davis, but thought they could they could actually do that and end up with another Democrat in office. And Cruz Bustamante obviously didn't turn out that way. A lot of history there. Uh, in my opinion, the only speech worse than Newsom's last night was Kevin Faulkner's. He gave this kind of can pre-buttle <laughs> that was, I just don't see a, a guy who can beat Gavin Newsom there. Is there a chance that a Republican could ever win statewide office again in California? Mike, let's start with you, since you are a Republican. Well, ever is a long time, but I don't, I don't see this happening probably in my lifetime. Uh, look, you bring up a good point, though. As, as, as critical as I am of, of Gavin Newsom's speech, I agree with you. The only speech worse was Kevin Falconer's, which tells you I think most of these consultants have no concept of how media is moving uh, during the COVID era. Both of them were very bad for very different reasons. A stilted speech is a, is, is a bad look. And you can say a governor is, they are who they are or whatever, but I'm sorry. You don't get to be governor of California without being at least have some capacity to evolve a little bit. What people are looking for is some earnestness, some forthrightness, some candidness. And there was none of that on display, not only from Gavin Newsom, but, uh, but from Kevin Falconer. Is I think we've just been acculturated into these, you know, a Zoom life where you know there's a, a kids come in, dogs knock stuff over in the middle of the meeting. You're, you're not necessarily wearing your Sunday best every day. I mean, how about a little bit of reality to come out in a stilted, you know, speech in the middle of an empty stadium and then have uh, Kevin Falconer basically give the same talk? It's just it's it's the, the consulting class. I think is on both sides, all over this, is just really missing the moment and what's happening. Long way of saying. I'm not seeing the, the talent rising um, for any of the Republican candidates to kind of make this race competitive in a state that is extraordinarily difficult. And to Gary's point, he's quite accurate. This is a much more hyper-partisan state than it was back in 2003 when this was um, a, a remote possibility back then. I mean, that you had to have a confluence of a number of events. You had to have Schwarzenegger run, who transcended both parties. You had to have the lights go out during an energy crisis. And you had to have a governor that probably lacked the capacity to build a network of friends to come to his defense in a meaningful way. Um, you don't have any of that right now. And so barring that, uh, look, I just do... Let me wrap up by saying this. We just spent a year watching the average Republican voter willing to endure uh, setbacks to their own individual health, the public's health, and the collapse of the economy so that the, a Democrat would not be elected to the White House. We are about to see the exact same thing of the average Democrat in California during this recall. That tells you how intense the partisanship is in America right now. I do not in any scenario see this getting so bad that Democrats will somehow vote for a Trump ally to run California. I just don't see that. Uh, it could have happened. Sure, anything could have happened. But I, I really don't think uh, that will happen. I think Kevin Falconer made a massive strategic and, and tactical error in, in, in wrapping his arms around Donald Trump. Um, I think if Rick Grinnell gets into this race, and he probably will with Trump's imprimatur, he will be the highest vote getter amongst the Republicans. And um, you'll continue to see this downward spiral of Republicans who are being advised to somehow think that, that being associated with Donald Trump is somehow some sort of an advantage 
in an incredibly shrinking Republican electorate here in California? I think we probably killed that question. Don't need to spend much more time on it. So, Jessica, we'll go to you with this one. Even if Republicans can't win, how might the recall campaign pressure the governor and shift his agenda? And is it already doing that? Um, Yeah, so I think that the recall election is certainly putting pressure on the governor. That's why we've seen him have this essentially tour of vaccine sites. I mean, it it became clear, well, as Mike was saying, it's been clear for a couple of months now that the recall was going to qualify. And Governor Newsom really set off on a tour of vaccination sites throughout California showing I'm going to help get us through this pandemic. I'm going to help get us through the other side. So to the extent that that wasn't otherwise on the agenda, yes, I think it's changing um, his strategy. In addition, I think it put more pressure on him to say, even though it's under local control, let's make sure we open schools. I mean, this is something that hits almost everybody on a very personal level. You either have kids, know somebody who has kids, you're a teacher, Uh, You work with somebody who has kids at home and everybody's working around everybody else's schedule. So I think it put more pressure on him to say we have to find a deal to reopen schools. Um, You know, look, obviously he was going to have to tackle the pandemic. He was going to have to tackle vaccines. He was going to have to tackle reopening schools. But it seems to have given all of those things a, a greater urgency. Gary, do you see Newsom already shifting? And do you think he'll shift more as the Republicans continue to uh, put pressure on him and he's in the middle of a recall campaign? One of my observations in a column I wrote this week was that any moneyed interest with power and now has big leverage over the governor. He can't make maybe the moves he was planning to make in his first term while he's on the defense. Do you agree with Well, I do. And having gone through a recall with a sitting Democratic governor, you know, what happened in 2003 with Ray Davis, because his numbers were in the tank, and he was trying to find, you know, how what the secret uh, sauce formula was to beat the recall. It allowed not Republicans but progressive groups to badger him to do things that he otherwise wouldn't have been willing to do. And one of the best examples of that is the driver's license bill for people who are here in an undocumented status. I mean, remember he vetoed that bill in 2001 and also in 2002 during the re-election year and as a consequence of that in 2002 the 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 um legislative latino caucus pulled their endorsement of gray davis in his re-election year when that bill came bouncing back up to his desk in 2003 guess what it was actually a worse bill than the one he vetoed a less strict bill than the one he vetoed in 2002 but he signed it And that's the exposure I think that Newsom has here is that, you know, on the issues of single payer, um, on environmental justice issues, you name it, right, on fracking, he's going to be subjected to a a lot of pressure from the left to get him to do what they want to do, just like they tried to um, work their way with Davis in the middle of the 2003 recall. And in some ways they succeeded. That so the pressure here is not from Republicans. I mean, Republicans don't matter in California for all practical purposes. Um, you know, they can they can perhaps get signatures, 12 percent of the people who voted in the last gubernatorial election to sign a petition to recall the governor. But in terms of the governance of California, they don't matter. The Democrats have super majorities in both the Assembly and the Senate um, with, with votes to spare, by the way. They can they can pass a two thirds bill in both houses by letting some people take a walk. 
so the, so I think that the real pressure point on Newsom um, in this recall, as it was with Davis in 2003, is from the progressive left, not from the right. Do you agree with that, Mike? Yeah. I mean, the Republican Party is irrelevant. They've completely taken themselves out of the equation and out of the governance model. I just, I, I, I think Gavin Newsom is a lot different than Gray Davis um, in that Gavin has placated and played so strongly to the left, where Gray Davis carved out a strong lane by saying, I'm going to be a governing centrist here. And there are certain excesses of the party that don't belong in the you know executive role. You have to remember, I mean, Gavin Newsom, during his primary election, laid out a whole litany of, of a fantasy list of America's progressive left, promising them everything from single-payer health care to the end of homelessness as we know it, and uh, I think 32 different tax proposals. None of this has come to fruition, so there's not a whole lot of, lot of, lot of trust there, I think, from the progressive left that is increasingly going to start flexing its muscles and start making the demands. I mean, Gary, more than anybody, probably remembers those days when those bills were coming down, those calls were coming down to the horseshoe and saying, this is what we want at a time when the governor is particularly weak. Um, I don't think um, Gavin is in the exact same position. As I said, I, I don't think at this moment in time the likelihood of his actually being recalled is, is significant. I just, I just don't. Um, but I do think that what we need is, is for the governor to go forward and start being more successful is to actually start governing. Like the, the fact that he has backtracked, the fact that, that he is changing clearly his COVID response again in the face of a recall leaves this strong sense, rightfully so, that this is not somebody who's leading out of a sense of vision and purpose. He's afraid of the next dynamic that's going to pop up that could potentially hurt him. And so we have 16, 17, 18, 20 different responses. If you ask any Californian what these colored tiers mean or what California's plan is, they still can't tell you a year later. And that's where the frustration is. And he, he, is not, uh, he has not demonstrated the capacity to do the job that he was elected to do now, that doesn't mean he's in jeopardy because we're we're a one-party state, and I, I don't think he's in jeopardy. But that doesn't mean he's he's doing a good job uh, that he was hired to do. And my hope is that he'll he'll fix that. As a Californian, it's it's just not good for for business. It's not good for for health. It's not good for for anything. It's just I, I don't think there's a whole lot of Californians. The polling shows there's not a lot of confidence in this government at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah the. Tears tend to change their meaning like chameleons change their colors. Um, last question. Let's make it quick, like 30 seconds or less. If you were advising Newsom over the next year, what would your main piece of advice be? Jessica, let's start with you. Uh, as the least qualified person on the panel to answer that question, I'll be happy to start with that. So I think he has to pick the things that he can really do and stick with it and have a moment where things are not gonna be popular, but say, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we might be in the middle of an economic crisis. You know what, I might lose some votes. Okay, this is the right decision and I'm sticking with it and so be it and I'll live with the consequences. He may encounter that moment and that is where I think he would have a breakthrough with a lot of voters where he would say, you don't like it? Okay, it's the right thing, we're doing it. Gary, let's go to you. Well, it's a difficult question, but but here's what I would say. I mean, I think you got to cut Newsom some slack. Um, 
We haven't had a governor dealing with a pandemic for 100 years. There's nobody alive today who has a playbook on this. He's made mistakes. I've called some of them out. I mean, I think reopening the bars back in May was a huge mistake. Uh, we know what the behavior is in bars, and it's not conducive to the non-transmission of a, um, of, a, of, a, of a virus. But but on the other hand, you know, there, there's a certain amount of working his way through this thing. So, you know, I think, I think his, his, his speech last night, I, I disagree with my friend, um, my Republican friend, but I, I think that, he, that, that his speech last night was a pretty good start to framing this for the voters, um, not just in the recall, but remember he's up for re-election again just next year to, in, in 2022. And so <clears throat> I think what he's got to do is make the recall election uh, and the re-election effort in, in 2002 sort of a, themeless, uh, a seamless, not themeless, but seamless whole. And, you know, whether he can do that remains to be seen. Uh, he has a certain style about him that is grading to people. He did when he was mayor of San Francisco, uh, when I ran his first campaign for governor. Um, but again, you know, he is what he is. And you're not going to get, you're not going to get, um, you're not going to get Bill Clinton out of, out of, um, out of, out of Gavin Newsom. He is what he is. And I think he's doing the best he can, honestly, with a very, very difficult situation. Mike, 30 seconds. Big piece of advice for Newsom. Oh, start leading and start doing it in an authentic, candid way. I, I would disagree with my Democratic friend in saying there are plenty of governors, uh, frankly, many of whom have handled this wrong, but they've handled it consistently. If you look at the approval ratings for people like DeSantis in Florida, or if you look at people like Hogan in Maryland or Whitmer in Michigan, these are governors who have had very different responses to a global pandemic. Unlike anybody in the last 150 years also, they're no different. But they've done one thing very different than, than, than Gavin Newsom. They've been consistent and they've demonstrated leadership. People are just looking for somebody to say that they are taking control of this. And when they feel that it's spiraling out of control and that nobody's at the helm, he's going to continue to see his political fortunes spiral downwards. And it's not good for the state. It's not good for, for California. And I think it's ultimately not good for Gavin Newsom. Thank you all for joining us today on California Nation.